Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the month of May Monero Meet. Actually, I think we might have our next Monero Meet also in May. It'll be four weeks from now, which might, I guess it is also May. But besides the point, we have a wonderful crowd on today to talk about all things Monero and to answer today questions to that you have. Um, just have a fun time overall. There really been a lot of really excellent things that have happened over the last month. So there's plenty to talk about. Um, thank you everyone for joining us. Again, this is just supposed to be super casual. Now let's go around the room and say who is here. Of course, you have myself, Justin. I'm a Monero space person, I guess. I don't know. Do, do random Monero things. It's been around for a while. Um, we have a new guest on, however. Not can you introduce yourself, please? Um, we have a new guest on, however. Hi, so my name is Nab, and um, I'm calling in from Muscat Oman from the Middle East. It's 9 p.m. my time from the Middle East, and I'm really excited to be part of, um, you know, this, the meetup today. I've been, um, I've sort of started to become a little bit more active in uh, within Monero over the last few months. Um, I first learned about Monero through the Dollar Vigilante and Jeff, Jeff Warwick's um, uh, group, you know, their um, Dollar Vigilante and Crypto Vigilante subscription that I joined last year. So it's been about a year that um, I got into crypto, um, May last year, actually. And my first coin that I ever bought was Monero. Um, I was convinced from the start. I'm one of those people that just jumped straight into, into Monero. So, yeah, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> We're excited to have you on. Thanks so much, Nam. We appreciate it. We also have Seth. Learning the keyboard shortcuts, sorry. Um, <laughs> hi guys, I'm Seth Simmons. Uh, been around Monero for a couple of years now, trying to get more and more involved as time passes, um, but mostly active on Twitter, Reddit, Matrix, uh, trying to stay up to date, share the things that I learned across, along the way. And um, yeah, happy to chat. And he also has his own blog. Please visit him. I do. <laughs> Seth Simmons me. I didn't pay him to show my blog. <laughs> what about you, Scott? Yep, uh, I'm Scott. I've been around for a few years, uh, mainly just a oddball, small-time contributor with localization, Stefcon, and now uh, Matrix moderating. Although thankfully, we now have a bot that takes care of it pretty well. So, random stuff like that. Awesome, Arctic Mine. Well, I've been around since uh, 2014, and I decided to get into Monero because I didn't like the scaling in Bitcoin. And then once I become a member of the Monero community, that's what I work with the Monero community. But I do other things. I'm also on uh, the core team and I'm involved with the policy work, which is really interesting stuff right now. So that's where I come from. Awesome, we also have Rotten Wheel on. I'm the most unofficial and non-important of you all. Uh, I do the El Monero podcast in Spanish. Uh, I hang out on Twitter and Telegram and Matrix and whatever else. Excellent. So it's great that we're all on here. Again, this is just meant to be a chat where we talk about recent Monero news. If you have questions about what happened with Monero, you know, leave some comments. And then if you do want to participate further um, later on, we do have a Monero DEF CON planning meeting uh, starting in just under an hour. So we'll try to wrap up before then. Um, of course, this year, we expect to still have another village. So all the discussions regarding that need to, need to continue. Uh, so lots of stuff there. Um, uh, are there any things that we is you think is worth mentioning about DEF CON at the moment? Or do you think best to just say, we'll have a few meetings and we'll make some more you know, broad community announcements at that point? I guess it's just chill early, right? Yeah, I think it's mainly once we've settled on the name in theory this morning or well, in the next two hours or so, That's that should unroadblock a lot of the other tasks that we have, like CFP, website design. Nothing like classic bike shedding, so. you know, everyone knows. <laughs> Figuring out the name. <laughs> Uh, my my thought on this is it's still very much in the air of how many people will be able to be there physically present. Absolutely, yeah. I yeah. think the expectation is that most of the stuff will be present. You'll have to have a vaccine, like be fully vaccinated to go, I think. Um, but I think we're still waiting on everything official from DEF CON, but we'll see. But 
I mean, there there was an official post by Dark Tangent, which outlines a lot of, I think, the major points, fortunately, which is basically, for the most part, they're expecting a lot of people, I don't know whether it's a good expectation or not, but to basically pre-register, so, you know, pay by card, but how much of the hacker crowd who has, you know, paid for the last roughly three decades in cash, it would be inclined to have, you know, that tra- traceability element, I don't I don't know, but that that's what they're going with. Um, if mainly only there just- was a decentralized private way that people <laughs> pay that's like cash, but it's yeah. digital. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I, you know, if someone hasn't already, it would be, you know, maybe Michael or someone else could go petition for, you know, a third party kind of payment vendor. I I guess there is already drama with the naming. Just imagine Shilly Monero for payments. They're going to be like, what are you on about? But yeah, it's so uh, unexpected that. Uh, Defcon would take online payments when they've only done cash any person all time. Like I'm, I'm sorry, I remember that being a pain in the past because you, sh- I, I would have to show up and be like, yes, I need to buy ten Defcon admittances, so I need to get like, you know how difficult it is to work. I don't know three k yeah, in your hands, three thousand in cash when you don't have an in person bank branch near you. You're just going to like ATM after ATM. <laughs> And then, like, you're probably in your account getting SAR after SAR after SAR filed. Uh, but, um, yeah. But, yeah, I would be, yeah, to Seth's broader point, if only there was a way for them to take online payments that was not requiring them to use a credit card. No, no, certainly we can, we can, an item we can bring up in the, the meeting following this with Michael or someone to be like, hey, wink, wink, can we get, you know, Monero payments as a thing? But we'll see. Yeah, that's the real cypherpunk thing to do, right? Just take Monero and cash. So go ahead, Nam. What exactly is this DEPCON? It's a, just a question. It's a well known hacking conference that has had 29 editions by this year. When it completes, if it completes, okay, I'm just joking. But it's, a, it's an InfoSec cybersecurity hacking, whatever, uh, well known, uh, well prestiged uh, conference that happens mm. in Vegas in the United States and has happened for a few mm. years. And Monero first started with not having an official uh, village. And then they had, I don't know, something mixed up with blockchain village. And after that, uh, it got its own village. I don't know if 2018 or 2019. And from there, it's been the Monero village. And it's been three years of that or something like that. And well, now now they're rejecting uh, the Monero village from having a, precisely the name of Monero Village in Defcon for whatever reason, because I don't know, they say that it's too obscure or too broad, something like that. And yeah, but fortunately, we uh, the Monero project uh, got invited again this year, and we're just trying to figure out what name it is going to be under. And there is plenty of other villages and other content uh, during that con. But again, it's mainly infosec, cybersecurity hacking uh, themes. Anyone so, have admittance um, numbers? Other projects? Sorry, um, name. So go um, ahead. I was gonna ask: Do other projects also um, come in under different names? Uh, there like is not their a, own a, name. To the best of my knowledge, there is a payments village, whatever that means. Uh, there is a blockchain village. Mm-hmm. And then there is us under whatever name there might be. Um, as for other projects, I don't know. They will be chilling their crap uh, <laughs> in blockchain uh, village, I assume. Uh, but a specific project having their own village, uh, not not that I know of. Oh, so they, we have been given a village, but we haven't been given the authorization to go under our own name. Yes, correct. That is correct. And we're trying still to make votes and make rounds and discuss what name should be under. But the acceptance of the village itself so, is already in. 
What about other years? Did we go under different names or was it always Monero? No, it's been always Monero. It's been three years of Monero Village uh, in a row. And now it cannot be Monero out of the blue. So we'll see. Oh, okay. That's strange. <laughs> yeah, 2018 was shared with uh, uh, another group. And in 2019 and 20 was Monero Village. And 2020 was virtual. And 2018 and 19, of course, were in person. I'm not, I'm finding it a bit strange that they would ask us to, you know, go under a different name. But I don't know what you guys feel about this. Yeah, it's weird. I, I don't like it one bit, but it is what it is. What, what can we do? I mean, to be fair, I think it's kind of an opportunity, and and I understand because it's like a singular entity Monero. I've always found it like really weird that we were able to get by for several years under just Monero Village rather than some more general concept like the villages typically are. So you know you have like cloth picking village or car hacking village. Um, so I mean, I personally think it's kind of an opportunity for to force, force us to broaden kind of the topics we cover because I think personally, at least between like, if once we get back to, to doing Conferenco kind of on a more regular annual basis, I know kind of COVID screwed up Conferenco plans for this year, but you, both of those conferences are kind of back to back because I think DEF CON's in August and then you have Confranco, which is in like June, July-ish. Yeah. I think it was yeah. the first one. I don't remember the exact dates, but you have like two conferences that have like a decent block of time where you're trying to come up with or get talks and that sort of thing, workshops from a bunch of people for two different things with, with large time blocks within that both happen in three months. So there's not necessarily a lot of cool down for there to be, you know, new cool stuff that the MRL is talking about or, you know, other academics or that kind of thing. So I think it is, it has its perks. Um, and, and also in that we're not, I mean, Monero community is not known to be shills, I don't think, within well. the broader cryptocurrency sphere. So we have, we, we have, we have an opportunity to kind of, to both acknowledge that the cryptocurrency space is pretty crappy, generally speaking. I hopefully, I think most people here would agree that you know, majority of people, no one really needs you know, like a dentist coin or that kind of kind of mentality. So the, there is, but there is also at the same time critical kind of practicality um, in having something that has the privacy properties like Monero, um, and so we can. As village staff, we can kind of prevent the, you know, the dentist coins or dental coin, where I forget it's been a while, whatever is called from, you know, necessarily putting a bad influence upon the kind of the, the, the hacker community, as it were. So, there are so pros what name will we considering I, I think going under? Best, mm -hmm. Well, you should show up at the meeting in 45 minutes and see. <laughs> <laughs> We basically, oh, okay. we, it, it's 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 not our place to say specifically, but we'll be we'll be having some conversations. There's maybe a few names we're throwing back. Excuse me, each with their own Scott, pros and cons. But Scott, did you just say that Denta Coin is not the future? Because I have three trillion Denta Coins, and I feel pretty offended by that comment. <laughs> I mean, you're welcome to find it because I will take them <laughs> for anyone. No, no, to, to, to go back to the topic and don't mind me being, I don't know, teasing. Um, I think it speaks volume that Monero Village got accepted and taken for three consecutive years uh, in a hacking conference uh, of the realm of DEFCON, which is huge. Uh, it's, it's pretty uh, worth uh, highlighting that. But um, say, if should it be cryptocurrency village? Uh, in my humble opinion, if it's the same room at Bailey's or whatever, because that's too small. If we're going to say wing all other all certain other cryptocurrency projects, we should uh, be granted a way bigger space 
So maybe we can work something out with our projects as well. And it can begin being a collaborative uh, thing, uh, something that not only Monero as, as the leader of the village uh, managed, but also other projects. If the case is that we go under cryptocurrency village, should it not be? <laughs> I mean, it's a big conference, though. Back in 2019, there were about 30,000 attendees. So it's a, it's a big opportunity to, yeah, yeah, you know, wow. hopefully have some, like, meaningful events and, you know, uh, workshops and activities with, with the, uh, you know, primary crowd. But I, I guess my, my point is, if we go for cryptocurrency, then we have to lobby or ask for bigger spaces or for help from somebody else or... Do you get the gist of what I'm trying to get across, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think ultimately we have to prove ourselves, right? Because if we end up going with cryptocurrency village, there's there's a lot of understandably negative stigma around that space, and you also have three other ish villages kind of hitting on similar kind of topic just, so just know, imagine your regular, regular cisco networking or encryption or whatever there listening to you that there is payments village that there is blockchain village and then there is a cryptocurrency village they're going to be like what all of that sounds like just buzzwords what what is yeah but all then you have that? the doge meme go up gme guy and he's going to be like yeah crypto village so you got <laughs> wait the good or the bad yeah i guess So how long is it? Is it over a weekend or is it longer than that? It is a weekend, I think. Usually kicks off by Thursday or Friday and goes all the way through Sunday. But I, I, it might be just Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Okay, too long didn't read. It's just a weekend. Jesus. Yeah, for the village blocks. So typically Thursday is just more of a open kind of affair. Villages typically aren't open open some villages have like open doors for like social mingling but the actual workshop and talks for the villages are typically friday morning through sunday at noon so it's about two and a half ish days of workshops and or talks um and then it's actually part of like a greater what's known as like hacker week so you have um black hat which is like the corpo uh, hacker conference with all you know the super corporations and security vendors and all that like I, I don't attend that so i don't know the exact days but i think it's the tuesday wednesday something like that and then you also have uh b-sides las vegas which is more it's a smaller hacker conference that kind of has um conferences across the u.s so you have like one in florida and so forth depending on the time of year but it's basically an entire week of Hackerish yeah, things um, in Vegas. Besides, was like a spin off. Like, we're going to make uh, a smaller movement all spread over the country, over the US. And then it was way more local. And the way they did it out in Vegas is that, let's say, the, the DEF CON conference kicks off Friday officially. Uh, then they do, besides Las Vegas, I don't know, uh, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Or, or Wednesday and Thursday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So by the time it's over, then people hop off besides uh, of Vegas and just go to DEFCON. They coordinate that every year. Unfortunately, this year, besides Las Vegas is not happening because, you know, the, the virus uh, shenanigans and it's not occurring. It's just not happening. So it's only uh, DEFCON. And I, I don't know about Black Hat, but those other two are just unrelated to DEFCON. Not unrelated, but you know what I mean. Other things. So it's a physical one this time. It's not an e-conference thing. Officially, it's hybrid. They're, they're going to try and roll it hybrid. Mm. Like It's going to be both uh, virtual and in-person for uh, those people that uh, do manage to get to Vegas. Right, right. Yeah, um, yeah. What's the, the date? Expect I expect the date. The date is basically August 5th through August 9th. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Nice. 
So I'm guessing most of you are going to be there. Uh, my lawyer advised me not to disclose that type of information publicly. I'm sorry. Uh, you will have to speak to my lawyer for getting that type of information. <laughs> yeah, it, okay. it's normally nice. A, a pretty large Manero crowd goes when it's available. I don't know if COVID will change things a bit, but back in 2019 and, and 2018, there was a ton of enthusiasm, quite a few people there. Um, the Monero party is always fun. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, it's yeah you, you can tell some stories about the Monero Patty. I'm no, I can't. Sure. Um, any, anything else on DEF CON before I, uh, you know, we, we broaden this up to some other, other recent Monero news? Mm. The triptych prioritization meeting, uh, ring size to Abahelion. Yeah, so there was a, a meeting. I did. I wasn't able to attend it, but uh, you know, the during the meeting, there was a discussion about how to further work on triptych implementation, and uh, it, it helped uh, specify the scope for Serang and CypherStack's triptych CCS proposal, which was then moved mm -hmm. and funded, and now is being worked on by you know Dr. Serang Nother. Um, and so that that's you know continuing. That's that's mostly multi-sig research, so that we can maintain um, that you know the new multi-sig wallets, which would be required under the new version. So um, you know funds are never going to be at risk. It's just one of those things where things are going to change, and we'll have to make sure we communicate that change appropriately when we get there. <laughs> Is, um, does anyone have a summary of the of that meeting? Did, did you attend? Yeah. Yes, I did. I mean, basically, a lot of the discussion uh, centered around multi-sig because a multi-sig requires some careful thought in order to make sure that it, it can be migrated to Triptych for that matter, for that matter, to Arcturus. So that was a lot of the the discussions centered around, largely because that's where the work needs to be done. Uh, that was kind of my read from it. Uh, it it's it's possible. It's just going to take a fair amount of coding, a fair amount of. Uh, uh, research to get it working and functioning properly and to ensure that we have essentially a seamless transition from the existing multi-sig implementation so that you have that, that backward compatibility. So that was what the main discussion uh, on that meeting, I think, centered on. And there was a, my, my read is there was a strong consensus to preserve multi-sig. Um, and that was kind of the, so the outcome of that meeting. So that's in a nutshell what my impressions were. Awesome, thank you. Okay. Yeah, and I think it's, I'll just mention it in case people don't know or have forgotten, part of Triptych will be a migration, kind of how we migrated into Ring CT back in the day. And that was even before my time, so I've never done that. But when you first spend funds after we hard fork in Triptych, you will have to migrate your outputs to Triptych and then they will be spent. Um, so a little bit of weirdness there. And part of how multi-sig will work is it'll function the same way. You'll have to migrate outputs before you can spend them um, under multi-sig. But yeah, I think the I think the have no decks becoming a big priority helped to drive multi-sig as a as a focus of research. Since that was a little bit it wasn't going to be dropped per se, but it was very much not a focus. And there were thoughts and discussions around just proceeding with triptych even if multi-sig didn't work at launch because I don't know of much multi-sig usage in Monero at the moment. Um, but I think Havano helped to kind of drive at least the community side's focus on multi-sig. I'm sure there are like exchanges, that kind of thing that use multi-sig that just aren't involved in the community. But um, I think it was it was a good reorientation of priorities um, and we'll make sure that multi-sig is, is functional in one way or another before we go to Triptych. Um, and that it may even mean we don't go to Triptych and we go to something else if it's not possible somehow with Triptych. But no. at the moment, it looks good, it looks possible, and um, should be should be the next I was promise. I was promised ring size of a helion. If you don't give me ring size of a helion, I'm going to sue you. It'll be 128. <laughs> um, someone, asked, someone asked the question, is the migration time sensitive? I want to be very, very clear because in the cryptocurrency space, you get a bunch of crazy stuff that pops out of nowhere. No, it is not time sensitive. If you don't move funds for the next five years, you will still be able to move them in the future. We're not burning funds. <laughs> you know? So 
So um, I, but but I guess this this shouldn't be called a network upgrade. We're bringing up again another hard fork, right? Because we're like breaking the order, as you say. We need to send the transactions again off of that wallet in order for it to be triptych, right? I I don't know what you're. I don't quite know what you're getting at, but like the, the network is going to basically require you to spend current CLSEG outputs. Of course, only into a new triptych output. But, but you know that the past, I don't know, two or three hard forks, you didn't have to do that. It was good. It, it hasn't. We have But, but as Seth was highlighting, with Ring CT, you had to do it for it to be enforced. With triptych, you're going to as well. You, are you following me now? So now we need to move the funds, be like it's in five years or 10 years, but we need to do it to get the triptych. But there's still no there's no time gate to do right, it. Right, right. Lose funds if you don't do it. Just I, like you could have a pre-ring CT output right now and you could migrate it to CL SAG and then spend it. It'll be the same yes. with you have a CL SAG input that's twenty five years old, twenty five years down the line. You just migrate it right. to a triple. How does and it's, okay. Yeah, I mean the, the analogy impact it, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, the analogy with with um what happened with ring CT is that if you actually you it's actually Quite seamless. I mean, you spend the output, and then what you get back is CLSAC outputs. The output that you that you send to the other individual, to the other person, and also your change comes back as a CLSAC output. I mean, that's basically so. It'd be analogous to that, but from a user experience, it was quite. I feel it's totally seamless. I mean, you basically spend the output, and then what you get back on your wallet is a, it's a CLSAC output. Okay. Okay. I, I think I think the interesting so the I, I was a little less on the technical side when we did the ring CT transition, but I was still around. Um and, and I think the biggest surprise at the time we 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 got as a community was just the quick adoption and the very limited like user experience hurdle on the GUI side. We 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 thought like people using the official wallets would take like a year to really fully like fix everything over slowly you know we have a, a period where we kind of have both enabled and it really was just immediate you know turn this thing on and it was like oh now everyone's using these outputs and then no one was using the old ones anymore um and so there when, when a user is spending they don't need to think about like they don't need to click a little convert button they just say i want to spend to this address and click spend and it does it for you there's no any other weird part on the user experience side. So I think it's, um, for them, all they need to do is upgrade, update their wallet, just like they have to do now, right? Uh, there, there's no other difference from the user experience, which is good, it's great. The only difference, what happens? the only caveat is for people with multi-sig wallets. Go ahead, Nam. What happens when you have the official, you know, GUI wallet um, connected to a hardware wallet? like a Trezor T. Um, I mean, do you have to move the funds from your hardware wallet to the next version of... Uh, it, it essentially uh, would be like, if wallet. you've ever churned or heard of churning, it essentially functions like that from my understanding. Like I said, I haven't gone through a migration myself, but my understanding is you're basically spending the funds to yourself to get... You just generate a new, a new sub address and send it to yourself and that's it. Uh, supposing that your wallet is upgraded and your node is upgraded to that hard fork release that is going to happen in 2022 or 2023 or 2030, whatever we decide on Triptych or anything that we're going to implement. That's turning in a, in a but when you When you connect the official wallet, it always says this, um, it gives you a message saying daemon syncing. You guys, are you familiar with that, that message? And I think that's just, um, uh, I mean, it's putting the note, it's uh, running the entire node, and then it says 80% complete, 90%, and 100%. Like it takes a while to get to 100%. Um, is that what you you would need to just do, or you would need to download a different version of the? You just need to update your GUI. That'll include the updated node. You won't need to do any special things behind the scenes. It'll just be that yeah. first time you want to spend funds, you'll essentially have to send them to yourself to mm -hmm. upgrade the outputs well, I mean, and then you just spend as normal. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. you. Okay. I actually don't even think you need to go through the process okay. of sending to, you don't at least need oh, to you're think right. about the process of sending right. to yourself. So that 
literally all you need to do is just update your wallet. You don't need to touch your Trezor. You don't need to move keys onto another Trezor or do anything. All you need to do is just update the GUI when the update comes out and it'll work in the same sense where you need to update the wallet for all the previous updates we've had. Uh, the only, again, the only caveat is if you have like a hardware multi-sig wallet where you have several things, but and that's where it gets a bit trickier, but most people don't do that. Most people just have their one Trezor connected or, or ledger connected to the, the you know GUI. All you need to do is update the GUI and it'll be good. That's it. Yeah, good catch. I forgot that it was just an automatic migration. So you just upgrade uh -huh. and go on with life. Just a further on Nam's comment. What actually happens is if your node is not synchronized, if you have, if you powered up your node, and then you the first portion is the node is synchronizing with the network, and then the second portion in the wallet is when the wallet synchronizes with the node. Okay. So that's what you're watching. So if your node, if if you if you have your node fully running in the background all the time, and you open up your wallet, then you're synchronizing the wallet with the node. But if you haven't, if your node is not totally up to date, it has to synchronize first, and that's the daemon, and then it synchronizes the node, the the wallet mm -hmm. with the node. So that's what that's what okay. you, that's what you're observing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Something like that happened to me on um, on the Aeon wallet, which is a Monero fork. Um, I had to download a new version to be able to see my funds, all that stuff. So. I had to reach out to the to the exchange to trade ogre and you know they were like oh you probably just don't have the latest version i was like you know it's been like 18 hours my funds haven't gone you know i'm not a technical person so i was just starting to freak out a little bit because you know never gets lost i mean it's always going to get there it's just but, but then i was getting concerned and then they said oh which um what you know version do you have and i was like it's 13 and then they said you need the 14 or whatever so but anyway, yeah, I get it. Yeah, that's Thank the painful guys. part for users with hard forks is if they don't upgrade, they'll have that problem. Because they'll you'll essentially, if you don't upgrade, what the hard fork means is the, the chain forks, the rest of the network goes on with the new chain that's upgraded. And the old chain can go on, but normally doesn't. Normally no mm. one's mining it. So then your funds get spent. They're in the new chain, but they're past where your wallet can actually sync up to if you're not upgraded. So yeah, it's a common pain point mm. for users if they don't stay up to date. So that's why it'll be really important that we just message out broadly everywhere. Make sure everyone has the every possible chance to update. Get plenty of time before the hard work. That kind of thing. The GUI luckily uh, now has a little notification that's like your wallet is up to date. Click the download button. <laughs> so example of user experience improvements. Trying to make that easier. Yeah. But yeah, you still don't want to be having these every day because it'd be very annoying. <laughs> so it's a trade off. But Triptych is very much a big update that is worth <laughs> worth worth causing a little bit of upgrade pain for. Um, any other questions on Triptych? The All right. Good thing, the good thing is that oh. the size of the transactions are not going to be that heavy either uh, with Triptych implementation. So even though you we keep parrying the, the ring size is going to have a helium, the, the size of the transaction is not going to be severely impacted. Um. I kind of comment on that. When I looked at the uh, transaction size and what where Triptych is likely to lie, uh, basically, as far as fees are concerned, the the what we call the reference transaction size, we can keep it at three um, at the three thousand bytes, which then would allow for a ring size increase uh, before Triptych. I think for about twenty five. Although most people are talking about fifteen to nineteen in that kind of range. And also would allow to um, make it pretty seamless uh, size-wise with respect to the implementation of Triptych, depending on how big a ring size is chosen in Triptych, of course. So there wouldn't be a significant change there from what is basically on the works right now. Yeah, as far as I understand it, the transaction, transaction size will stay about the same as it is today if we bump up to 64 or 128. Um, ring size, because the nice thing and the, the advantage of Triptych is it's logarithmic scaling for ring size increases instead of linear. So mm -hmm. that's why we're able to massively increase the ring size without massively increasing the transaction size. Triptych when? 
But the, the thing to keep in mind, though, is that verification does not scale with a log in Triptych. So that's a, that's going to be the limiting factor, I think, with Triptych. It's going to be verification time as opposed to ring size. Yep. The good news is that no one understands verification time outside of researchers, so they're just going to look at the transactions. <laughs> I'm just well, I'm kidding from a marketing perspective, obviously. We can't just say, screw the verification time. But no one's going to notice if we accidentally make it quite large. <laughs> Well, it would take a long time to sync. I mean, that's basically when you actually are uh, uh, syncing the, uh, a node from scratch, for example. That's where it could be an issue. Uh, but again, you also have to bear in mind that, that we have this continued running of what is sort of an extended Moore's law, which effectively sort of negates that. I mean, uh, I know I'll be saying this a lot of time when it comes to bandwidth and size, but for example, if you look at Nielsen's law over the last 10 years, it's uh, well, and that's going to 11 years. Uh, one megabyte of Bitcoin transaction size is like 80, something like 86 or 87 right now. And if, if you simply factor in uh, the improvements in bandwidth, so I mean it's the same thing with CPU time. I mean if you uh, if you improve your uh, CPU time, well, yeah, you can keep increasing that verification time, and people aren't going to notice it because the the, the devices are faster. Yeah, I think who really gets hurt by that, though, is people not in first world countries. Because if you have lower end, older hardware, that verification time can get pretty mm -hmm. painful for initial block download, especially if you don't have an SSD. I think that'll be the other thing that we'll want to push with Triptych is, hey, if you're running a node, use an SSD. Like, it's just, we've said that for years, I know, and we even have the prompt in the node if you're running you on an old spinning hard drive. But you just need to be using an SSD. They're cheap. They're available to the defaults in most devices nowadays. Yeah, I guess. Should be up on Get Monero. If you don't have an SSD, don't even try, please. Well, I would. I, 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 I would beg to differ on that one. If you have a big enough hard drive, like about ten terabytes, it works fine. But I think. Oh If you have a really humongous hard drive, yeah, ten terabytes, even about even down to about three terabytes, you'll be okay. Or if you have a RAID array. Of, um, I think I have a 12 terabyte RAID array that I built in, in 2013, and it runs Monero fine. Uh, but it, if it's a humongous disk, you're okay. But the question of um, the difference between uh, um, developed and developing countries, I, I would like to refer to Rodney Will to Nam on this, but um, my understanding is sometimes you see much more faster increases in developing countries. Simply because the infrastructure, you sort of skip the older, more obsolete technologies. Mm, mm. Like, like nobody's going to go ahead and dig up the the, the streets of Nairobi and lay copper wire. They'll put fiber optic in there, but they're not going to put copper wire in there. Yeah, I mean that. That's kind of the, my my point. So, so you get this sort of a different sort of response on that. So if I understand correctly, you're saying that developing countries adopt the newer technology faster or something? Well, yes, because you don't have the infrastructure. Like you don't yeah. have reams and reams of, of, of copper buried in the streets like you do in the United States, for example, or in Canada. Uh, and so if you, when you put the infrastructure, people are going to put fiber optics in cell towers so with 5G or whatever. Yeah, no, I, I think you're on the right track there. I I, I wouldn't defer with you. Uh, and, and there is even cultural side of it that, of course, I, I don't know, but Venezuelans particularly, they're always trying to be on, on the top of a uh, top level. Like, oh, there is a new iPhone. I need it. And it's not that they need it. It's that they want it. <laughs> Just so you get it. But, but culturally wise, everybody's like, I want to be on the latest technology. I want to use the one that is faster, fancier uh, when compared to old technologies. Whether they can afford it or not, that's another story. But the way the mindset, the way people think, yes, it's definitely that. We have the same issue here. So I live in the GCC. It's um, six countries. Um, Saudi Arabia, UAE, Bahrain, Qatar, Oman, and whatever. UAE? UAE? Um, yeah, UAE, Oman, Bahrain, Qatar, Saudi. I know I'm missing one. Um, Kuwait? Or, or maybe it's five. Kuwait? Kuwait? Yeah, Kuwait. Yeah, 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 Kuwait, exactly. So there's six countries. 
I knew I was missing one. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, energy is pretty cheap. We don't really pay a lot. Everything is subsidized, like starting from the gas. Um, the, um, the, you know, the, like the, um, electricity bills, everything is, it's, it's reducing the subsidies are reducing, but it's, it's pretty subsidized. But then when you talk about mining, I really don't think anybody's mining here. So culturally, it's something that I don't think I've never heard of anybody mining in this region. Maybe they are. Maybe somebody is at home. Um, nobody's even heard of Monero. That's a different conversation. But yeah, people always want the latest cell phones and cars. Like those are the two obsessions of, of this region. So, hey, maybe one day, you know, if uh, we can mine Monero with uh, how, you know, how they're, they're talking about mining um, Bitcoin with an Android phone, maybe we could. That would be cool. We just put your phone on the charger at night and you're, and you're, you're mining yeah, there Monero. Was, there was some back and forth on Twitter cool. about that. I didn't know somebody had actually made an XM rig port into an Android app that actually has rules like that where you can set it to mine only on Wi-Fi and only on, on charger, that kind of thing. Um, but it looks like development is dead. Whoever created it hasn't touched it in like a year and a half. But I know Monero hopped on Twitter and was interested. So it'd be cool if somebody could integrate that into Monero or Cake. The other thing I'd love to see is... That would be really cool. Yeah, it would be really nice. I think okay. it could be a nice way to build up some hash rate without really any harm or extra steps just run in the background whenever you're charging overnight no big deal mm. um the other thing i'd like to see in both cake and monero joe just off topic is um some sort of background or automatic syncing like overnight when on wi-fi and on the charger because that's one pain point when you're using a mobile wallet is if you haven't synced in like a week or two it can take a while so like if you're out somewhere and you try to spend you could have to wait five six seven minutes for your wallet to sync before you can actually spend anything so it'd be cool to have some some background syncing as a priority in mobile apps. So um, if it's not an intrusive question, what do you guys spend Monero on in like living in the US on a day-to-day -day basis? Like what would you do? Do you have businesses that um you know that make it easy for you to spend Monero? I don't I don't have a lot of like in-person ways to spend Monero yet. Um, always trying to talk to to merchants, especially like small businesses, that kind of thing, to see if if it's an option mm. or they're interested. There's not really many chances there. I mean, the main ways of spending it is online, um, donations, buying things, paying for services. There's quite a few privacy preserving services, especially that accept Monero, and I feel like it's snowballing to more and more and more. But in person, yeah, nothing really yet. I I mean, I can't. I could speaking of Bitcoin, um, much less Monero. No one takes cryptocurrency at all. My thought to answer that question, I'm in Canada, by the way, and, and uh, one area where I really found it very beneficial is over a credit card is when I'm buying things in the United States. Because what happens with, um, uh, like I bought a cell phone from a company in um, privacy-preserving um, purism, and uh, I order one of their one of their phones, and if I pay with a credit card, the cre people don't realize this, and it happens all over the world. There is a five percent spread on the on the forex exchange that credit card companies add on, and that's over and above what the merchant pays. So, for example, if I went to United Arab Emirates and use my Canadian credit card, I'd probably pay about five to seven percent because I'll split the currency first into U.S. dollars, etc. Uh, and in same thing going to Europe, I mean, I, you pay like 5% on there. If you use cryptocurrency, you can cut that down to less than 1%. So as a Canadian, buying things in the United States is one area where actually uh, cryptocurrency was very beneficial. And I have bought with Monero in the United States. And when it was possible back in 2012, 2013, I bought with Bitcoin in the United States. And again, the same thing, that you avoid these big, Surcharges the credit card companies put on exchange rates when you when you're using it in a different country. So that's the big plus that I've noticed with that. Myself now again going back to uh, um, what um, Justin was saying. When I drove my truck to a, a Monero event in San Francisco, it turns out that if I bought gas with a credit card in the United States, it was a three percent more 
for paying with a credit card. And on top of that, the 5% spread between the Canadian and US dollars. And so I was actually ahead just carrying cash to pay for gas. Mm -hmm. So anyway, sort of, sort of answering your question, but yeah. So there are services you can use, especially online. Well, most definitely. And I wanted to know if you guys have a recommendation for a, a VPN service that is uh, that accepts Monero and that you know that works well. That's actually a good point. I'll, I'll have yeah. Seth comment on this reviews. more, but um, TechLore is like a, a a VPN review, you know, entity. They have open guidelines and stuff, and they've actually started including for their, their highest privacy privacy score, a requirement that you can either pay for the VPN with either Monero or like a prepaid gift card or something, which I have done before in high school. <laughs> but that was my intro to anonymous payments was before I knew Monero existed, going to Walmart, buying a prepaid or buying a Walmart gift card and using that to pay for VPN. Um, so uh, they, they, I, they should have a list of, of who accepts Monero. Seth, are you familiar with, you know, any in particular? Yeah, yeah. Um, I posted the list in the Monero Space Matrix channel as well. Um, but TechLord does a really cool... They do a really good job of reviewing VPNs. They give me a lot of specific scores for different aspects. And like you said, one of the new ones that they've started doing, I think because of Justin, is how you can actually pay for it. And two of the main ones I'd say would be um, iVPN is one that's supported Monero for a while. And I know Fluffy Pony said that he uses it. I've heard really good things. And that's the second highest scored VPN service by TechLore. Um, and they accept Monero directly. They don't require anything except an email, I think, as well. Um, but you could always use a one-time email service, that kind of thing, if you don't want to they're, they're link speaking, to it. Speaking of VPNs, there is a website that takes Monero and Bitcoin uh, for payments. And it's not iVPN, but it's Mulebad. I'm going to pass you the the link in the chat, so you well, can. Well, Movad directly do not take Monero, but someone yeah, yeah. is selling Movad exactly. services. Correct. Yeah, they they basically sell you a Movad gift card for that. Right now, I use Proton VPN personally, but that's mainly just because I've been a Proton Mail user for a really long time. Um, Man, I I've been using Movad for for a few days, and it's wonderful. It's it's. It's fast. It's it's reliable. It's it's great. I, I definitely recommend Mulbet. But of course, uh, since Fluffy Pony recommended IVPN, <laughs> and if they take Monero, then let's go all IVPN. <laughs> I think it's a cool. It's a really good idea. Whoever started doing the Mulbet gift cards for Monero, I think there could be some really good ways to for people to earn Monero by just providing an arbitrage service. Essentially, like here. You're buying the gift cards and then selling them off, but you allow other people to pay for a service anonymously. Um, I have no idea what the legal implications could be of that, so don't take that as like my legal blessing. I'm definitely not a lawyer. I have no idea how that works. <laughs> so you're telling um, me that that was legal advice <laughs> <laughs> yes. and financial advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, yeah. it's a good idea, though, so it's cool to see. It's a bit of a loophole in the anti-money laundering laws gift cards if they're very liquid. Um, they tend to fall through the cracks. That's an interesting one, especially companies like Apple. Um, I was at a, a at a drugstore, London Drugs in uh, Canada, uh, here, and and one guy ahead of me wanted to buy like thousands of dollars of worth of iTunes cards, and they actually shut down the register, and they were playing along with this guy. And I was wondering, you know, I'm thinking money laundering. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs thousands no, of dollars well, for well, Apple gift cards? Well, who, who, what are they doing? Are they farming ice sheep? They're just buying a, the latest MacBook computer, you know. And no, no, but, but, but the iTunes cards. Yeah, so it's like, and, and and the thing is that these things are liquid in the black market. I mean, they do trade. People will actually take a, an Amazon gift card and sell it and say in an African country, someone wants to buy stuff from Amazon. So there's a way of sending money around the world that is kind of under the radar is in fact these, the bigger the brand, the more liquid the cards and people are buying iTunes cards and Amazon cards and, and then trading them for local currency. 
And so what happens is one person wants to send money to that country, and then people in the country, say, for example, an African country, and then people want to then turn around and buy stuff from Amazon in that country. So there's this market of trading the codes and trading the um, the cards. And this has gone right under the radar of all of the um, uh, compliance people and also for the because it's considered um, it's not considered fungible when in fact it is because of the nature of the brand. So yeah, it's a it's a loophole in the system right now. I, think I, I don't remember who did this work, but they were trying to find out how you could buy. They're basically doing a a, a write up um, on how they could purchase you know Bitcoin peer to peer without using KYC. And the way they actually did, like they checked out Bisc, and it was like didn't work out because you needed Bitcoin to buy Bitcoin, right? Like all the stuff like that. Um, and so they ended up using RuneScape Gold, which it is against their terms of service to trade this, but apparently there's a large enough market for you to do like peer-to-peer exchanges, of, you know, RuneScape Gold for Bitcoin. It, it, it's it's, it's, it's kind of odd. There, there's, you know, very weird ways that people go out there. Gift cards obviously are a big part of that too. So one minor point I want to add there is um, there are services like Coin Cards specifically that accept Monero and will give you a gift card for Monero. So that can be a really good way if you want to use your Monero to pay for services at places, especially like in person that don't accept Monero. Um, that's a way to do it. I mean, it, it's definitely an extra hoop. It's a pain in the butt, but it's an option if you're wanting to spend Monero and they don't accept it. And then you could always at the same time mention like, hey, I would really like to pay with Monero directly, but instead I had to do this through a gift card. Here you can set up your wallet this way and give them the spiel. Seth, before we go here, just because we have a few minutes, can you walk through the uh, year in review post you made recently or some of the biggest highlights from Monero? Because we had the Moneroversary a few weeks ago. How did Monero fare over the last year? Yeah. Um, can I screen share in this? Is that a thing? You should, yeah. There's, it should be the uh, create a secondary stream button. I'm trying. I see a second box, but I, I had actually. When you're done with that, and if we have enough time, I have a question to Seth as well about one of your tweets where you talked about um, Lightning Network and talking about, I think you mentioned something about how you need um, to reduce the fees on, on the Lightning Network. You would need, um, I, I think you were referring to like the fees on the layer one of Bitcoin. So I just, and I was, I, I didn't get yeah. that. So yeah, I can walk through that. Uh, if we have time. I have no idea how to switch okay. here. So Thanks. I'll just walk through it and I'll share the link in, in Matrix. Okay. So you can share it if you want. And um, YouTube as well, Justin. It's also on the gitmonero.org main site. Uh, it's a blog post up there as well for those who don't want to go to my site for some reason. Um, but yeah, it was quite the crazy year for Monero. Um, I kind of took the chance to walk through a lot of statistics, walk through a bit of the like CCS campaigns that happened, major upgrades, that kind of thing. But I really wanted to kind of do uh, a look at the stats of Monero itself and see how we as a community had done, how the blockchain had done, um, how we'd grown, that kind of thing. So just some really quick highlights. Um, and this is looking at April 2020 through April 2021. I also did the year prior, just so people could get a feel for kind of the year over year growth. So you can look at the year prior as well on the blog post. Um, but I'll just go quickly through this last year. But some highlights were we grew from about 10,000 transactions a day um, in April 2020, over the year, we grew to being about 23,000 transactions per day. Um, that has started to be more like 30 to 35,000 a day in the past uh, few weeks. So really seen some some great transactional growth. Um, obviously, the caveat with Monero, we can't figure out who's spending the money, who's doing things, if they're just sending to themselves, that kind of thing. So there could be TX spam that's part of that. Um, but with looking at all of the other statistics, I, I don't think that that's the case. Um, and just a cool a cool note, in the year uh, April 2019 through 2020, there were 2.8 million total transactions. And then in this last year, there were 5.9 million. So massive, massive jump, 208% um, year-over-year growth. And I think also important to mention that every single one of those transactions protected the sender, the receiver, and the amounts involved. Um, so really cool that everyone who's doing that, all 5.9 million transactions, were private. Um, 
quickly, blockchain growth. Monero's blockchain grew about 13 gigs this year. Uh, average transaction size was 2.4 kilobytes. Um, emissions. So I thought this was cool to just see the stat, but over this last year, Monero emitted 362,000 XMR. Um, and over that same year, we dropped from about 1,200 XMR per day to about 750. Um, so quite the emissions drop off as we're approaching tail emission over the next, I think 2022 is when tail emission kicks in. Um, so cool to see how that's just steadily kept dropping over time. Inflation's kept dropping. Um, fees as well. So in this last year, Monero participants spent almost 2,000 Monero on fees. Uh, about five Monero in fees spent per day. Um, and the average fee for transactions were 0.0003 XMR. Um, and both those, almost all those numbers, well, so the paratransaction fee dropped significantly between the year before and this last year, thankful, mainly due to CLSAC. Um, but the total fees increased dramatically because of the dramatic increase in transactions, um, which is great to see that even with a reduced fee per person, we're increasing the fee subsidy overall um, just because of the uses, the usage of Monero. It's kind of a key aspect of how Monero's um, fee market works is that the more people use it, the lower the fees get for the individual user. Um, and the last couple of real quick ones, we grew from 1.2 gigahash per second to 2.3 gigahash per second in hash rate over the year. Uh, it was just a really steady climb, not a ton of big changes except for the one, uh, <laughs> the one, Vulnerability that someone exploited in Azure to to mine Monero. Uh, that was quite the quite the network jump. But other than that, just a really steady steady growth over the year. We also broke through 100,000 known miners. Um, I get more info on how that's gathered, but that's kind of the the lower band for how many miners there are on the network. And we broke through the 100,000 number for the first time in in our history, which is really cool to see. Um, past that. Gained 43,000 subs on the main subreddit. Um, we gained 70,000 followers on the main Twitter account. Um, and then I also highlighted some kind of top tweets, top Reddit posts, top CCS campaigns that I thought were newsworthy um, and some major upgrades over the year. But there's a lot more info in there. There's graphs, all that fun stuff. Um, so I definitely recommend taking a look at that. Um, Can you quickly address the... Uh... The, the Lightning Network question real quick here. And then yeah. we, I know the DEF CON meeting is supposed to be starting this, this moment. So I'll be going back and forth, but thanks. Yeah, yeah, I can answer that real quick. So um, that was in reference to several people lately who have been mentioning that the fees in Bitcoin are just going to go up perpetually and there'll always be more and more and more. Um, and specifically somebody who was on Monero Talk mentioned that fees would be so high that people would only be able to spend like billion dollar transactions on Bitcoin because the fees would be like $100,000 just to send any Bitcoin. Um, and I don't know why they think that's okay. And then also show Lightning as a solution for all their problems. Because if you're, if you're a Lightning Network user, the way that the security of the Lightning Network functions is that if there's a problem, if like the other channel participant tries to steal your funds, if they just become non-cooperative, which if they bring their node down, you actually can't use the funds in the channel until you close the channel. So if any of that kind of thing happens, if there's any kind of malicious attack, if you just want to close the channel and get your funds back so you can shift them to another channel, you have to do that on chain. Um, and so if the fees get too high, let's say you lock in $1,000 into a Lightning channel, and obviously that's in Bitcoin, but then the fees keep going up, the price keeps going up. So maybe it ends up being $10,000 in Bitcoin in a Lightning channel. And the other channel participant attacks the channel, steals your funds in some way. They can never actually steal your funds if you can settle back to the main layer because you have the way to prove on the main chain that you own the funds in the channel. So you should be able to settle back to the base layer. But if you have $10,000 in your Lightning channel and the fees to do any kind of transaction on the Bitcoin base layer are $100,000, for instance, or even $11,000, in order to settle that $10,000 IOU that you have in Lightning, you have to pay that fee on the base layer to actually be able to get that money back and to prove that you own it. So it opens up lots and lots and lots of attack vectors, basically every attack vector that's available to any malicious actor on Lightning, because the only recourse you have in Lightning is to either go private, have a private node, private channels, 
or to settle back to the main chain to prove that you own the funds and to to get the funds back. So if the if the fees get too high, you can't do that, and so Lightning just becomes completely unusable. Um, there's a lot more nuance there. There's lots of research around it, but that's really kind of the basic functioning mm-hmm. aspect of Lightning is that it's it's only an IOU in Lightning, and the IOU is settled when you settle back to the base layer. So if something bad happens, you have to be able to settle back. My and. Yeah, thanks, Seth. I I know that. Oh, we're, uh, we're... I had an added question. You said. Oh, okay, I know <laughs> we have to finish. Um, it just said that the the security of the Lightning Network or the two depends on cheap settlement at mm-hmm. level one. But anyway, it's um. I know, Justin. You you said um. You have this meeting. We can close. You can also end the meet, and then we can just chat. Offline, yeah, quick. that sounds good. I can, yeah, if, you yeah, wanna, if the two of you want to keep talking, that's obviously totally fine. Um, but thanks everyone for joining this month's Monero meet. We'll see you again in four meets, four months, or four <laughs> weeks. So I guess we'll see you later this month. Um, uh, and the Monero DEF CON meeting is also ongoing. That is in uh, hashtag Monero events, which is part of our Monero matrix server. So please join there. I also linked how you can join the Monero space channel, Monero space. We hope to see you all there. Um, and Obviously, plenty of other things we still need to cover that went on in the Monero community that we didn't even get to today. So thanks, thanks everyone for joining. Again, thanks, thanks Nam for being here for the first time. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see everyone Thank else. Thank everybody. Take care. Thanks for hopping on.